people have very different backgrounds and lived experiences. And if you're not aware of that, chances are you're going to have some missteps that make people feel like they don't have that sense of belonging. So I think starting with a baseline of, hey, I have blind spots. My team has blind spots. Let's work deliberately to kind of expose those and to lean into those. That is a good starting point. From Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs, it's Ideas Elevated, the podcast that elevates innovative entrepreneurs and their ideas. I'm Danielle Kahn, the head of Lift Labs, and today's guests are Rashad Lambert, Alicia Agnew, and Chris Anderson. Rashad is an award-winning marketing architect, philanthropist, and community builder. In his role as director of culture and community for Forbes, he's establishing the media brand as a preeminent community for black and brown entrepreneurs. Next, you'll meet teammates, Chris Anderson, the Director of Community Learning and Love, and Alicia Agnew, People Operations Manager at Guru, one of the fastest growing startups in Philadelphia. Chris leads community programs, customer education, and marketing, while Alicia is a DEI-driven People Ops Pro. In this episode, Rashad, Alicia, and Chris chat with my colleague, Kendra Lee, Senior Director of Leadership Development and DEI Portfolio Management at Comcast during one of our Live at Lyft events. They'll discuss the role that management plays in fostering inclusive work environments and explore the difference between reactive and proactive inclusivity. Plus, they'll give you some tips on how to create and lead an inclusive workplace that values, protects, and creates opportunities for all employees, whether you're at a startup or a big company. All that and more with Rashad Lambert, Alicia Agnew, and Chris Anderson now on Ideas Elevated. So when we talk about diversity and inclusion, oftentimes people will use those terms as the same thing or use them interchangeably. So knowing that sometimes people talk about DNI as the same thing and conflate them, would love to hear from each one of you. What does inclusion mean to you personally and how do you think about that in your current role? So I'll start with Rashad. So I do acknowledge that those words are like often used, you know, interchangeably or sometimes uh um, together. Uh, but to me, the, the inclusion piece is the most important piece that actually making people feel included and not just invited or not just hired to work there or like making them feel like they're a part of the team. And that's welcoming uh, the whole person. So their culture, uh, their cultural experiences. And most importantly, I think is their cultural expertise. Uh, there's a lot of things that come with having, uh, you know, a diverse background that are not necessarily, you know, um, celebrated I'm like your hair or it could be your sense of style. But those things could actually help in certain instances. Uh, so I think that it's really important to make not just employees, but people just make them feel included in the decision making process and not just, you know, assigned to something. Uh, there's a lot of diversity and inclusion talk that comes around Black History Month or around, you know, Kwanzaa or it's always around a set time frame and not a, a you know, continuous thing. So um, I think making people feel included all year around by making them, you know, a part of the decisions and part of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Really making sure that it's an everyday action as opposed to something that feels performative because absolutely. there's a specific heritage month that's coming up. You say a uh, window dressing, like it's like when right. you uh, when you put your, you know, black employees or your like Hispanic employees um, on the forefront just because there's a war going on outside or because uh, whatever's going on. And then once that's over, it's kind of pushed to the side until the next heritage month comes along. Right. I feel the same way. I think from my own perspective, inclusion means that me and everyone else on our team can kind of show up as ourselves. 
that our voices are heard, that our voices are valued. And a lot of times I think that kind of shows up in very subtle ways. And I think it's having a mindset around inclusion is, is being very cognizant of those things like who's asked to take notes consistently in a meeting, who's maybe asked to speak or not asked to speak in a meeting, things like that, that might not immediately jump out to you. But it's, the, I think, the accumulation of all of those different nuances and norms that are part of a culture where if you're not deliberate about it, it can make individuals or groups of folks not have that sense of belonging, not have that sense of inclusion. I think the only other piece I'd add quickly is I think often equity is is omitted in some conversations. I know today's focus is inclusion, but I think it's worth noting that equity is also a really important piece of this work. Uh, and for me, that just, you know, kind of speaks to everyone having fair and equitable access to, you know, their treatment, their promotions, compensation, benefits, professional development. So I just wanted to call that out as well. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for calling equity out. And, you know, one of the things you were saying about the nuances, my team really talks about small actions drive big outcomes. So it's not some big initiative that necessarily makes every single person feel included every single day. It's the small, it's the noticing, it's recognizing when someone's voice isn't being heard or someone hasn't been invited to that meeting. So it is really in starting to pay attention to the details. Alicia, what else would you share? Well, I I certainly agree with everything that Rashad and Chris have shared, particularly with inclusion being one of the, the most important in all of those terms and kind of starting there. I've thought about this and leading up to this conversation, we often hear that, you know, diversity is inviting everyone to the party and, you know, inclusion is making so everyone's uh, invited to dance. And I think it's that inclusion is actually just making sure that everyone is invited to fully participate in the party in the way that they want to participate. And that, you know, equity is an example that those who are going to be the most impacted by the party planning were actually involved in that planning and the decision. I think if you think about it in that way, it just certainly um, reminds us all that it's a practice and something that you have to continue to do, as you said, Kendra, with daily actions. Yeah, I love the expansion of that analogy and making it more nuanced and specific. So thank you for sharing that with the audience. So as we get into the you know thick of this conversation, why is it important to build inclusive teams and workplaces? I think sometimes we take for granted that everyone knows and everyone has investment in that. So Alicia, I'm going to come back to you. Why is it important that we're doing this? I personally believe it's important because it doesn't matter what product you make or sell or how you deliver the service. One way or another, you're doing it with humans, both as employees and as consumers. And and eventually those employees and teams could have potentially be consumers. And so I think just making sure that you're treating people like humans uh, is the most effective way to begin to build inclusive teams. And that, in short, is the business case. You're doing business with humans. So being thoughtful about how you include and engage those humans uh, really needs to be at the foundation of your work. Yeah, that recognition of just basic human decency and that we all just want to be treated as individuals and be valued for that. Rashad, Chris, is there anything you would add to why it's important that we're building inclusive teams and workplaces? Yeah, I think that our most 
innovative and our our best inventions have come from having um, diverse teams and have come from diverse communities and from diverse um, perspectives. So uh, to me, um, diversity is like um, the cornucopia. So it's like including someone from from every community, if that's available, of course, but making sure that those perspectives are valued because just having them there to take a box is not valuable if you're not going to actually value their perspectives and value their insight and their opinion. And I think that we get siloed when we have a world where our teams only look like one thing or they only sound like one thing because then they can only produce one thing. Yeah, 100%. You know, at Comcast, we talk a lot about we are so invested in building a strong customer experience. We want to make sure we're providing the best services. And of course, we want to build the most innovative products. The only way we can do that is if we have a very diverse population of employees because we need to represent the customers that we serve. And in order to make people want to be a part of our company, it needs to be inclusive. You need to know that you're going to come in and feel valued for that diverse perspective and experience that you're bringing. There's an understanding that uh, that comes from different lived experiences. We all are not from the same areas. Uh, we all didn't grow up the same way. And there's a way that that drives business, especially at a place like Comcast that is in a very diverse city like like Philadelphia, but it is heavily populated by black and brown communities. So it needs to to make sure that those perspectives are like included in the business decisions. Absolutely. So Chris, I know you have a lot of experience with startups and we've talked about why it's important to have an inclusive workplace and team, but what are the challenges, particularly from a startup experience that get in the way of building that inclusion? I think it's easy to kind of have an assumption that it's not a problem, right? But like, I think starting with that assumption of like, to Rashad's point, people have very different backgrounds and lived experiences. And if you're not aware of that, and you develop some kind of empathy and understanding around that, chances are you're going to have some missteps that make people feel left out, that make people feel like they don't have that sense of belonging. So I think starting with a baseline of, hey, I have blind spots, my team has blind spots, let's work deliberately to kind of expose those and to lean into those. That is a good, I think, important starting point and, and really challenging yourself and your team to, to uh, if there is that assumption of like, oh, this isn't a problem here, because it's something that's important for just about any team. And I think it's incumbent on everyone within an organization, but especially leaders, to to pay attention to it, to focus and, and invest in creating that culture. Because I don't think anyone would disagree with like, oh, we want everyone to have that sense of belonging, but you have to kind of take steps to actually achieve it. And just to push on that a little bit more, let's say you are a leader or a founder, you feel like you are open, that you are accepting other people's perspectives. How can you make sure that you're checking for the, those moments where you might not be thinking inclusively? How can, what are the tips or tricks that people should have available to them? One easy way to do it uh, is to develop a, a survey and to survey your employees, make it anonymous so that folks feel comfortable being transparent and being honest and actually start to gather some of that data. I think also modeling it can go a long way if you've come to that realization that you have those blind spots be vulnerable and share that with your team and say, hey, this is this is something that we're working towards and I want to be called out and I want to learn more and actually like starting to take those steps to to learn and to kind of start to share that with your team, that can really set the right tone for the team to follow by. I was just going to add on to Chris's acknowledgement of 
asking for feedback and collecting that feedback. And then the next step is that you do have to act on that feedback, right? You can't actually ask for that feedback to acknowledge your gaps and then let it sit there. If you want to continue to get that kind of candid feedback, you're, you're going to have to respond to it and begin to act on it, but still continuing to do that as transparently and vulnerably as possible, just as Chris mentioned. To your point and to Chris's point, I think that the most important piece is to ask questions. But if there was like a one and like a one A, I think one one A is to make people feel comfortable and that there won't be any retaliation for sharing their opinion, even if it's anonymous. We've seen in the news even recently where there are like anonymous surveys done. Everybody is doing a diversity training and unconscious bias and all this other stuff. And, And because of that, people are sharing openly, but when they see that they are being removed and it's kind of like mysterious that this person that had this opinion is no longer at the company, it seems a little, uh, you know, suspicious and makes other people feel like they can't express themselves. The other thing that I feel is important is from the leadership perspective is to be accepting of criticism and be, be accepting of the information that is being provided to you from your staff and to act on it. So Rashad, what advice would you give to companies to make sure that in addition to setting those new hires up for success as they bring them in to clean some stuff up or start something anew, what else does it take to have true impact around these issues? I mean, let's uh, let's be real. This is America. And a lot of these companies in America are centuries old and a lot of them are uh, like the larger, older companies are successful because of some unmentionable practices that uh, they participated in. Uh, we've seen recently with like uh, the Lloyds of London and their participation in the transatlantic slave trade, which is how they built, built their fortune. So people don't feel comfortable going into these companies if they're not going to acknowledge these type of things that, uh, uh, that are woven into the fabric of, uh, of these companies, which kind of drive a lot of the current Practices, so I think that bringing in a DNI or a DENI expert is fine. That's one thing, but acknowledging what the company has done to create or to help to create some of these issues is extremely helpful because it shows the staff or the potential staff that you have self awareness of what is what has happened, and you're looking to chart a course forward. Sometimes just charting a course forward is not enough because there's still this stain that is on the company. There's a lot of these companies that were born during a different time and a lot of their hiring practices, a lot of their company practices are still stuck in that time. And bringing in a expert for a session or two is not going to erase the history. And then also, plain and simple, they really have to want to make a change. It can't be performative and it can't be reactive. It's got to be proactive. So figure out what the sensibilities of the company actually are and like act on that. Like if you don't really believe in this message, then don't put that out there because now you you make your company and you make your, your employees a target because everybody has to answer. These things come from the top down. So everybody has to answer for what the top is doing, even the people that are not at the pay grade to to have to deal with that. So that's just my two cents. 
Yeah, I, I think so many great points in what you said, you know, the acknowledgement, if there are historical practices, I mean, certainly also current practices, even for newer companies, it's not just companies that were built off of the slave trade, there are still companies that have not investigated the bias and the ways in which that influences all of the ways they engage with people. But I also think the important point you raised of sustaining, it cannot just be a moment, it cannot just be a reaction, we really have to dig in understand how this aligns to our, our company values and sustain that throughout both for employees, but also for the customers of that company. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. And this question is for Chris, but would love to hear from Alicia and Rashad as well. Are there any projects or initiatives that you've worked on that you think have been particularly effective or that you feel really proud of when you think about building this inclusive environment for everyone? One of the things that we got off the ground over the past few months, um, you know, in the wake of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, and personally, I was like, I want something to hold myself accountable. And we have this really great culture at our work. Why can't we have something that can help kind of some sustained engagement, which will really help improve inclusivity as well? So I got together with Bobby Lundquist on our team, who actually works on Alicia's team. And we put our heads together and we came up with what we call a solidarity ERG. For folks who aren't familiar with the ERG model that stands for Employee Resource Group, which we have a woman named Myrtle Asai at, uh, at Guru, also on Alicia's team, really spearheaded, where you can kind of create groups that are uh, employee-led um, and volunteer-based to bring folks who have shared backgrounds, shared interests together in a safe space to have discussion, collaboration, advocate for change, and so forth. So um, again, in, in June, we, I, I kind of helped put a few s- sessions together around building empathy and safe space discussions and actually taking action. And we, we use that to create the Solidarity ERG, which we've been rolling with for the past few months. Um, we do three types of sessions. We do learning sessions really as a venue to learn from experts, watch films and discuss them and dig into really meaty issues. We had one, our first session uh, was on the history of police violence in Philadelphia, really to kind of like understand that, that aspect of it a little bit more. We have a session format called Circles, uh, which borrows from some of the concepts of restorative justice, which is really meant to be a space for introspection, reflection uh, in small groups. And then we have take action sessions, which actually Alicia and I are kind of segueing to right after this session, where we uh, curate a list of petitions to sign, uh, organizations to donate to, uh, elected officials to call an email, basically a list of very actionable things that folks can take. And we get as many people as are interested in our organization to come and take part in that for an hour. And we've been doing those on a, on a rolling monthly basis. Hopefully, it's a model that other organizations can be inspired by. Tech is not known to be a very uh, diverse and or inclusive industry. And uh, we have an apprenticeship program uh, that in hopes will begin to help diversify that industry, both hopefully for us as a team, but also that it's helping others build skill sets and experiences they can take to other organizations. And it was interesting to learn that there was another local startup that learned about our program and reached out to learn more about how we were executing that so that they could also implement uh, an apprenticeship program. So I'm particularly proud to work for an organization that's doing that. But I also think there are opportunities for just leaders uh, and managers and individuals to feel proud of the impact that they're creating daily, just on on how they show up for uh, each other. We talked about this being a practice and Chris and Rashad both mentioned about making sure that you're fully including people and that their value 
uh, can be expressed in the organization. So they're involved in the decisions that affect their work and uh, affect their opportunity to grow and thrive there. In meetings, everyone's given the opportunity to speak and share if they choose to do so. And so I think one of the best ways that a leader or a, a manager can think about how they create impact is just educating themselves on on how to be a more empathetic and inclusive leader as a practice. That's great. Thank you both. So how do you measure the stickiness of culture at leadership levels? And, you know, following up on what Alicia just shared, how do you make sure that your leadership stays engaged? And the third thing I would add to that is, what do you do if people push back and they're like, this is too political? How do you make sure that the culture you're sustaining is measurable, your leaders stay engaged, and how do you make sure that you have the right response to people who think it might be too political to be delving into these areas? Well, I'll say first is just acknowledging that there's absolutely nothing political about human decency. Like that is apolitical. And just starting with that acknowledgement uh, is is a good place to begin to actually have some real candid conversations about how you actually live that in a a daily way. Yeah, 100% agree. I was just going to add to the question of kind of, I think I'm reading the question, measure the stickiness of culture. Uh, We do inclusivity surveys. So I think very well-designed and appropriately timed surveys. And then the like I I forget who mentioned earlier, the follow-up to that, actually being transparent about the results and talking about how you're going to take action about that. Uh, and setting, using those to help set goals, those are some ways that you can help leadership stay involved. But ultimately, I mean, we have we have goals around uh, diversity and inclusion all the way at the kind of top level of the company. If you have OKRs or other ways that you're kind of setting goals, I think it helps to have some tangible goals that you can actually set and measure against and reflect on. So those are just a, a few things, I think, to help leadership get engaged. But also, I think there is a need often for some training and, you know, reaching outside of your organization. Um, this isn't work that just intuitively kind of like hits people, right? And so it's not a one-off thing, but I do think it, it does require some investment, whether that's an in-house hire or working with a consultant that really has some depth of expertise that you can um, use to help leadership and the rest of the org to level up. Thank you for that. Rashad, anything you would add to what Alicia and Chris have shared? I think that making sure that the leaders are held accountable by those communities that these practices or the lack thereof is affecting them. Like sometimes it they need to hear it, you know, directly from from the people instead of from from a middle person or from a DEI expert or anything like they need to hear it directly from from their staff about how these practices or lack thereof are like affecting them directly and holding them accountable, meaning that if it's a LGBTQIA situation, then those employees need to make sure that they are holding this leader accountable. If it's a black issue, if it's a Hispanic issue, if it's anything, they need to hold this leader accountable directly because when it comes through a middle person, we've all played a whisper down the lane, the message gets construed. It's not, it's not the same as when it's coming directly from someone that is actually passionate. Now, it may, it may need to be, uh, be communicated differently, but uh, you definitely need to hold them accountable. And to Alicia's point earlier, there is nothing political about human decency. That uh, is absolutely correct. Also, it needs to be clear from management that this is a part of this company that this is how this company is going to be run, that we run this company with human decency and these things that we are expressing are a part of the framework. So if you 
don't want to utilize human decency or common sense, then this may not be be the place for you. And you can't necessarily remove people for that, but they can remove themselves if you give them the option. So with diversity comes diversity and opinion and belief. Unfortunately, some people's beliefs lead to negating others' identities, either implicitly or explicitly. So what are some of the biggest challenges you observe with this and how can leaders navigate highly charged opinions? So I think, again, it's really being firm in your stance on these issues. For example, if you're starting an unconscious bias training and you're doing it up company wide, some people don't don't want to participate because they feel like they shouldn't have to because they feel like they're they're the target versus people not wanting to participate because they don't care or because they don't think this is a real issue. But I think that the way to navigate that is to make sure that they understand that in this workplace, if this is where you want to work and have a career, this is how we do things here. If you do not want to do that, then you have the option to go find employment elsewhere. I'm not firing you because of this. I'm just making sure that you understand how we plan to operate in this workplace. And that and that's not optional. It's not negotiable you can take that to some other company. I just want to second Rashawn's point that, I mean, you're really looking at behaviors. That should be an objective standard across the organization about what behaviors are acceptable. And if you are exhibiting behaviors that negate the identity of others and, and doesn't create that inclusive and equitable environment that you're, you're looking to achieve, then you have to take some action as to whether that's allowed to continue or it certainly indicates whether you actually believe it or not. Yeah, 100% agree. I was just going to add, you need to set those clear expectations and then give it some teeth by saying, okay, this is going to be something that is going to be worked into our review processes and we're going to give feedback on, you know, don't, it's been said a few times, don't use it as window dressing. Like if it's important and it should be, then treat it as such. Consider how you can articulate then your core values, your review, et cetera. So then if you do have someone who is very much kind of going against that, then sometimes that is grounds to let someone go. Honestly, that might be tough in some cases, but that's, that'll probably do a lot more for you long term in terms of building a culture of trust and actually having an inclusive culture than the short term loss of losing an employee and have to hire a replacement, et cetera. So I do think it's important to kind of document, articulate, reinforce on an ongoing basis. I think it goes back uh, to accountability as well, like public accountability. If we look at something like um, the Me Too movement, which has drastically changed the perception of like a sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, I remember before I left corporate America, I was um, sexually harassed by, by like older women at the job. I didn't think that it was a thing. I didn't think anybody would, would care. I never said anything about it. And it just kind of went on. Things that happened then, even the lower end, smaller things that happened would never be tolerated today. And everybody is not everybody, but most people are super paranoid and overly afraid to even be thought of as doing something like that. That is the way that should happen for people that are like a are exhibiting, you know, racist behavior or like a prejudice behavior. They should have that that same healthy fear, but that comes from public accountability and from making it known that this company does not tolerate these practices and, and there will be consequences if not uh, to Chris's point. So, Absolutely. So we know that culture and tone comes from the top, 
critically important that leaders are explicit and clear about company values, what you're committed to, and also doing the work to dig into your policies and practices to make sure that those are aligned and holding the line. But what advice would we give to folks who are individual contributors? They're not people leaders. They're maybe, you know, they're not the founder. They're not the person who's at the top making all of the decisions. How can individual contributors lean in to support inclusion and ensure their voices are heard as well? Don't be afraid to speak up and to make sure that you stand firm in in your opinions, in your input, in your insights. Like make sure that you are that you're not swayed by a fear of how they may react or what they may say. If you feel this way, if you've had this experience, then stick to it and make sure that they really do understand. If there is an issue, escalate it. Like if it needs to go to HR, if it needs to go to your supervisor, if it needs to go to whoever, or you, one, it starts with you and how you conduct yourself in the workplace and how you interact with your colleagues. And then how you're treated by other people, if the way that you feel like you should be is is not reciprocated, then you should absolutely make sure that you escalate it and you share it with someone, but make sure that you're holding those people accountable that I'm sharing this with you, not just to share a story. I'm sharing this with you because I want you to do something about it. And I feel like this is not right. That would be my my thing. Just because you're not in a position of leadership, it doesn't mean that you can't take the lead on one of these issues. Yeah, for sure. I guess a few thoughts I'd add there is one, if no one else is kind of investing in this or talking about your company, the good thing is that there's a lot of great articles and research and like over the past several years, there's this whole body of work out there with lots of great insights and data and everything that you can imagine that can be good conversation starters, right? If you have, whether it's your boss or someone else, you just need to kind of create that spark. That can sometimes be a good way of opening a door. Hey, I sense that there's an issue here and that some folks in our team aren't feeling included. I found this article. I'd love to have a discussion about it. There's ways that you can kind of broach conversations like that. And just to add to what Rashad said, I think there's, again, all those quote unquote little things, right? If you're in a meeting and maybe you're noticing someone else in the meeting is, is not being able to speak, maybe you can interject if you feel comfortable and say, oh, we haven't heard from so-and-so. Do you have anything to add there? Little kind of ways to kind of help, help bring other voices in and help. Those can go a long way as well. I'd add to that of, of another thing that one can do as an individual is just to, to check your own biases. I mean, Chris mentioned a lot of articles that are, are available. There are um, implicit bias tests that you can take to learn more about your own bias and that we're all human. So we have bias, whether we are aware of it or not. And so you're not going to be able to completely remove bias from your experience, but you can take steps to become more aware of it. And so that's a way that allow you as an individual to know if there are behaviors or practices here in the organization that are less than inclusive or equitable, am I contributing? Contributing to that in that way, in, in any type of way. And that's some place that every individual can start to think about how they improve the inclusivity of their teams, because it certainly comes up when you're uh, reviewing your colleagues or in reviewing your peers and even in just day-to-day interactions. This has been Ideas Elevated from Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. For more info and to find us on social, head to Comcast, NBCULift.com or check out the show notes. Ideas Elevated is a Q9 production. This episode was produced by Kevin Schmidlin with associate production by Catherine Nails 
editing and mixing by Max Graham, and theme music by The Last Generation on Film. From Lift Labs, I'm Danielle Kahn. Until next time. <laughs>